welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. This morning, we are, uh, we're kicking off our Easter week. Um, we call this, in the, in the church tradition, this is called Holy Week. And today, we're going to be gathering with uh, Christians, with followers of Jesus uh, around the entire world, and not just throughout the world, but actually throughout the ages. Throughout the ages, followers of Jesus have had this practice that, that on this week, we remember and we reflect upon Jesus' earthly life, the final week of his earthly life, what happened, what he accomplished, what it means for us today. So we're going to be doing that. We're going to be starting with Palm Sunday today, which is the day that we we remember, we recall the story about how on that week, Jesus entered into Jerusalem and was welcomed by hope-filled crowds. Okay, that's our key word for today. And for actually for this whole series, we're talking about hope. So so Jesus was welcomed on Palm Sunday by hope-filled crowds. We're going to follow Jesus as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, where where he's betrayed, where he is arrested. We're going to follow Jesus as he uh, he meets with his disciples and uh, gives them the practice, and, and not just gives them, but gives us the practice of receiving communion, sometimes called the, the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. We're going to be doing that together as part of our Good Friday service. We're going to be receiving communion as a practice that Jesus gave us during that first Holy Week. So we'll be, we'll be engaging in communion. We'll, uh, we'll follow the story of Jesus as he's betrayed and arrested, as he's put on trial and scourged, as he is ultimately executed on a Roman cross, and as his broken body is placed in a tomb on Good Friday. This is all part of the story that we remember and we reflect on. And then one week from today on Resurrection Sunday, we will gather as followers of Jesus do all over the globe and have throughout the ages, we will gather to remember that that broken body is no longer in the tomb, that it is restored, that it is resurrected, that Jesus is resurrected as witnessed by hundreds of people in his day. We're going to look at the implications of what that means for us, what it means for uh, all of mankind, actually what it means for all of creation. That's what we do. We do this every Easter. We do this every year because this is our story. This is the origin story of the church. It's the story that lifts us up out of just our own individual stories and our immediate circumstances. It, it roots us in something bigger than ourselves. It actually, it roots us in God's story. It's the story of what our creator has, has begun, is doing, and has promised to finish, has promised to complete in pursuing a fallen creation that's, that's under the power of sin and death. And so this is the story that we find ourselves in. We root back to it every year. It's, it's really good, it's wonderful, it's appropriate that we would do this to revisit this story every single year. Regardless of what passage of the Bible we're in, every year we revisit, we recycle actually this story. And I think that's wonderful that we do that. It's appropriate. And it's also, to be honest, it's a challenge for me personally as a communicator, as a a pastor, teacher, preacher, whatever you want to, however you want to frame that. It's a challenge to recycle the same material every year because I feel this pressure. And this is, this is self-induced pressure. You're not putting this on me. I don't think maybe you are. You don't have to. I do it myself. I feel this self-induced pressure that I have to take this story and find something fresh and some, something relevant, some sort of new take to make it exciting. And as I was praying about that this week, I'm praying about that experience because here's what I know. What I hope is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you have 
heard this story since becoming a, a Christian, becoming a follower of Jesus. You've heard this story. I hope you've heard it every single year of your life. Like you've engaged in this story in a fresh new way. But it also makes it challenging. So I was praying about that challenge this week and I was reminded of something else that's happening in my life this coming week. This week, I'm gonna have two annual medical checkups, all right? Two annual medical checkups. The first one, I'm gonna be going to see my, uh, my primary physician for an annual wellness check, okay? If you've ever had one of these, you kind of know the drill, you know what happens. He's gonna go over my blood work with me uh, I already went in on Friday for a blood draw and to, um, you know, to fill the little plastic cup, all right? Don't, don't do this with the cup. Just... So I already went in, so he's going to go over that with me. He's going to go over my blood work. He's going um, to check my vitals. He's going to be looking for signs of anything that, that may be wrong with my heart or with my blood pressure. He's going to be looking for just what's happening with my overall physical wellness, He's going to take his little flashlight and he's going to shine it in lots of dark places. <laughs> places that I can't see. He's going to shine it in my ears. He's going to put it up my nose. He's going to make, put it down my throat and put that stick down my throat and make me say, ah, oh, and he's going to look down my throat in those dark places, right? He's actually going to make me get undressed. Put on one of those, those gowns. He's going to do that because he needs to see everything. He's going to check my skin for signs of cancer. He's going to check my reflexes to see if, if, I'm, if I'm still flexible or if I'm becoming rigid in a way that's not good. He's going to ask me a whole bunch of questions, all, all kinds of questions that I, he asks me every year, but they're designed to surface any new hotspots or places of potential uh, sickness or diminished health in my life. It, this is, it's so much fun. All right, it's, it's not a blast, but I do it every single year, don't I? Because why? Because my, my physical health is, is not, it, it's, it's, it's static, or, or it's not static, it's, it's dynamic, it changes, right? It, it, it varies from year to year, it varies from season to season. There are shifts, there's changes, there's new hot spots, there's new maladies that need to be addressed, there's things that he and I have been treating together that, that need to be reassessed. Does the treatment need to be adjusted? Does the prescription need to be bumped up or, or maybe changed to a new prescription? He's going to ask me how I've been treating myself. He's going to surface if there's any new hot spots in my physical health. And he's going to say, well, what have you been doing about that? And, and I'll tell him my self-prescribed treatments, which he'll probably correct and amend. He'll probably say something like, okay, Trevor, you need to stay off the internet and let me be the doctor, right? <laughs> so that's, that's basically, that's my annual wellness check with my primary physician. Immediately after that appointment, I'm going to drive about two to three blocks away to see another doctor, okay? This one is uh, a specialist who's treating me for a, a specific condition. It's an autoimmune condition that, uh, that I have, um, and apart from uh, a miraculous healing or some sort of new treatment, it's one of those conditions that I will just have to endure and manage the rest of my natural life. And so I see her every year as well. She's not a, a physician that my whole family goes to because, well, we don't all have the same condition, but because I do, I need to see her every single year. She'll do a lot of the same things. She'll check my vitals, go over my blood work, review my history but she's focused on a known and specific aspect of my physical health, a specific aspect of what it looks like for me to live in a fallen world. And she's gonna go after that. She's gonna ask specific questions about that condition. Pointing questions about where she's gonna be evaluating, is there any changes needed in, in how we're managing that or how we're addressing it? She may tell me to increase this medication or change this thing in my diet or start this activity or stop that activity. And I see her every year too because of this unique expression of what it looks like for me to live in a broken world. So I was reminded of those two appointments this week, these two physical wellness annual checkups that I do. And the question is, well, how does that relate to our annual visit of the Easter story? 
Well, here's the thing. If you've been a follower of Jesus for more than a, a, a year or two, you pretty much know what to expect when we come to Easter week, right? You know, hopefully you know the story that we're going to revisit and recycle. You know the basic activities we're gonna engage in. You know the basic questions that are gonna be addressed. You know what to expect. And yet we do this every single year. And Christians throughout the world and throughout the ages have done this every single year at least because our spiritual health is not unlike our physical health. It's, it's, it's not static, it's dynamic, it's changing, right? Hopefully it's growing, but there's, there's ebbs and flows in our spiritual health. There are new developments, new hotspots, old hotspots that are flaring up again. Correspondingly, there's things that need to be examined, need to be addressed, need to be brought out into the light. We need the physician to look at those dark spots, to see everything as we actually are related to our spiritual well-being. Many of the things that we encounter in Easter, the, the questions we ask, the topics we address, the things that we go through, they're things that are common to all followers of Jesus. They're common to all humanity, right? And so they're, they're just part of this, this rhythm that we have, this practice. There's other things that are, that are specific to our, our unique path, our unique journey as a follower of Jesus, that we need to come back and get, get pretty honest about those aspects of our life. Sometimes their, their uh, habits, their activities, their challenges, conditions, weaknesses, ingrained habits, all things that are part of our unique journey. We need to bring those before the great physician, allow him to diagnose, to, to poke, to ask some questions, to shine his light into the dark recesses of our hearts, to see us as we really are. We need to allow him to do that, to, to find places where our, our heart may not be in a good condition or whether we've become rigid in some aspect of our life in a place that he wants us to be soft and flexible. We need to allow him to do that for our spiritual wellness. Now that's most of us are in that camp where we're a follower of Jesus and this is part of our annual rhythm. For some, this may be a brand new rhythm. You may not yet be a follower of Jesus. You may be spiritually curious. You may be spiritually unconvinced, but you're looking at things. And for you, this may be like the baseline appointment when you first see a new physician. Okay, this is a, a spiritual wellness check and this is establishing a baseline for you. And the, the opportunity that you're gonna have this week is to choose to entrust yourself or not, but you're going to get the chance to choose, will I entrust myself to a great physician? And rather than, than self-medicating the, the places of pain in my life to allow him to bring healing, to prescribe his solution, will I allow him to do that? Can you entrust yourself to a great physician? So here's the title of our Palm Sunday message today. It's, it's Finding Hope Through an Unlikely King. We're going to be zeroing in on two words related to that. One is hope, and the other is unlikely. It's really important that we embrace both of those. So I'm going to talk about hope, first of all, because that's the aspect of our spiritual well-being that we're zeroing in on this year. Okay? There's, there's, all, there's other aspects to our spiritual well-being, but if there's a pandemic in our world right now, if there's a plague that is, that is just covering the globe right now, it is hopelessness. If there's, a, if there's a virus that's being transferred, if there's something that's running rampant in our culture and in our world, it's hopelessness. And that's what needs to be treated right now. Because here's the thing, even if you're a follower of Jesus who at, at times have experienced great hope, hope is something that also is dynamic. It changes, it ebbs and flows, it leaks out. Hope can be diminished. Hope can be covered up. Hope can, be, hope can be even be broken at times. But here's the thing. We have a great physician. We have a great physician, physician who knows each and every one of us. He sees us as we really are. He knows what questions to ask. He knows what conditions need to be addressed in each of our lives for the sake of our wellness, for the sake of our spiritual well-being. He knows the problems that each one of us are already susceptible to. There's nothing hidden. 
You know, you can put on your best behavior before you go see the doctor. You can try and, and cover up the, the fact that you haven't been living very well the last year. The reality is the doctor knows it. And so why not just be honest with them and get, and get challenged with, here's what we should do. So we're going to start this morning with a diagnosis. As we begin, we're going to take a moment for each of us to do a hope wellness check. It's a hope inventory. It's kind of like a, a spiritual well-being assessment that's specific to hope. And here's how it's going to work. I'm going to ask, I'm going to lead you through a series of questions, actually just three questions, each of them designed to help you diagnose your current spiritual condition as it relates to hope and to identify what possibly appropriate treatments might be for you. So in question number one, you ready for this? Question number one, what is your present sense of hopefulness? What's your present sense of hopefulness? And I want you to rate this on a scale of zero to five. Zero, you, you can do this on one hand, right? Zero to five. So zero is the clenched fist. Five is the open hand. Zero, if you vote a zero, and you don't have to show me this or anyone else. This is, this is between you and the great physician. But I challenge you to be honest. But if you're a zero, that means your hopefulness is at a zero. That means you have no hope. Everywhere you look, you see things going from bad to worse. You might feel powerless about your capacity to change any of the things for which you feel hopelessness. You may look around and feel like your future is bleak. The world's future is bleak. Everything's bleak. If there's a soundtrack that's, that's running in your life right now, it's Sarah McLaughlin singing about like abandoned and abused puppies, right? <laughs> everything's dark. Everything's broken, right? That's a zero. If you vote a five, that's the other extreme. It means the world could not be better. My life, my family, my future, my finances, it is all glorious. And when I look outside of my life and I look at my city, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with everything happening in my city and in my nation and in the economy. And I look out at the world and it's just, it is all good and only getting better. The soundtrack in your life is the future's so bright, gotta wear shades, right? bringing back the 80s. I suspect. So, so, so just take a moment to think about that. Where, where would you vote? Somewhere zero to five. I suspect that most of us are somewhere in the middle. All right? If you are, in fact, a zero, in all sincerity, I'm glad you're here today. This is a, this is a good place to be, not only today, but throughout this week. This is a good place to be. If you're a five you can leave. Right? Like, we don't want you here. No, 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 no. Actually, not true. If you're a five, you can have the microphone. I'll go sit down. Because you got a secret. <laughs> okay, so here's what I want you to do. Think about that. And consider however many fingers you have up this is the degree of hopefulness you have. However many you have down. So if you're a two, that means you've got three fingers that are down. Those three are not a vote for hopefulness. They're a vote for despair. Because despair is the opposite of hope. It's the antithesis of hope. It's the absence of hope. So which one's more dominant for you today? Is it hope or is it despair? Number three, last question. Assuming that you are... Just assume for a moment that you're self-diagnosing in order, what, what would it take to, to turn that, that two to a five or that three to a five, whatever it is, what would it take to turn your, the, the things that you feel despair about into hope? And let's assume for a moment that you're self-diagnosing. What would that look like? What are the possible treatments for your despair? So for example, let me just give you a few examples. If your feelings of despair are related to finances, Maybe one of those fingers is financial. So you're thinking about your personal finances, your future, your job situation. You're thinking about, uh, you know, the price of gas and inflation and housing. Like, you're looking at that and you think, so what would, what would it take to turn your sense of despair over finances into a sense of hopefulness? You actually think, you know what? 
Let's actually go in the right direction. If you feel despair about relationships, a, a particular relationship or a series of relationships, maybe it's the absence of relationship in your life. If your hopelessness is connected to that, what would it take to turn it into hope? What would it take to turn that despair into hope? If you feel despair about your place in the world, okay, maybe it's you, you're thinking about your future, maybe you're thinking about your family, maybe your housing, maybe your addictions, maybe you're stuck in a cycle and you recognize I'm stuck in the cycle and every time I try to get out, I find myself back in the same place again with some sort of addictive behavior or pattern. Maybe your despair is related to that. Maybe it's related to your, your body image. Maybe you feel shame. Maybe it's related to your health. Maybe you just feel stuck in your health. What's the change that you're longing for? Or lastly, just an example, if you feel despair about the greater world around us, maybe you look around at politics, who, who is or who's not in office locally, who is or who's not in office nationally, globally. Maybe you look around at the, the housing crisis or climate change. Maybe you look at racial injustice, gender inequality, prejudice, wars. Maybe you look at Russia. It's interesting, I, I, I was thinking about it this week, you know, everything from the 80s is coming full circle. Everything from the 80s is popular again. It started with mullets <laughs> and then pastels. And now I'm seeing neons. And of course, fearing Russia is popular again, right? Go Wolverines. <laughs> so the question is, what's the change out there? What, what's happening out there that may be causing despair for you? And what would you do? What, what's the hope that you would have that would turn that despair into hopefulness? That brings us to Palm Sunday. Because those questions, the, the things that we feel despair over and the solutions that we would have that would, that would hopefully, well, would turn those into hope, those things are at the heart of helping us to understand what was happening on that first Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago and how we might apply it, not only today, but this week in our lives. We're, turning, we're gonna be turning to the biblical text. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 19 today. And let me just set it up. That was a time when people were living in great despair. They were living in great despair, but something was happening on the very day that we're going to be looking at. Something's happening that is awakening a glimmer of hope. It hasn't, hasn't converted everybody into a five yet, but, but people are starting to say, well, maybe I could, maybe I could see some hopefulness in this. There's a growing sense that the antidote to their problems may have just arrived, and so they're opening themselves up to hope. Now, what are the hot spots, the pain spots, the, the, the places of despair that they were feeling? I, I thought about it this week, the, the things that they were feeling, and primarily we're looking at first century Israel when we're looking at the, the Palm Sunday text. As we look at first century Israel, the reality is the, the pain points that they were feeling are not actually that unlike ours. Yeah, this, is, this is some 2,000 years ago on a different continent. And yet their pain spots are common to mankind. They were facing oppressive foreign nations. For them, it was Rome. Rome had taken over the known world and was occupying their land. And so in their day, in their time, the ruthless foreign nation that inspired fear, the ruthless foreign nation that was led by a cruel narcissist, it wasn't over on the other side of the globe. It was in their backyard. It was marching down their streets. It was occupying their capital. It was executing their brothers and sisters, right? They were facing an oppressive foreign nation. They were facing economic oppression and uncertainty. Rome, that, that was the controlling force over the, the known world at the time, enforced uh, heavy taxes that were not only heavy taxes, but unpredictable. They were arbitrary. And they, they allowed tax collectors to gather those taxes on their behalf and allowed them to pad the taxes to, to, to get as much as they wanted. And so, so the average person living in first century Israel did not have any sort of, of economic certainty about their lives. For them, financial security was nearly impossible because they didn't know what was going to happen, what would be extracted from them. They faced racial injustice and, and animosity. Romans were the, the first-class citizens. 
and everyone else in the world was less. Romans were first-class citizens. Everybody else were less valuable, were afforded less dignity, were given less rights, had less benefits. And so there was this racial injustice between Romans and all the peoples that they had, they had, they had come over. And even within the peoples that they had conquered, the people that they had subjugated, there was racial diversity and animosity between them. There was racial diversity between the Romans and those they conquered. There was racial animosity between the Gentiles and Jews. And so on multiple fronts, there was just this racial conflict and tension. If you were a woman in, in first century Israel or the first century world in general, you faced gender inequality. Women were considered property. They were given less rights, less opportunities. They were powerless to change their own circumstances, largely speaking. There was a health crisis in their day. The medical field was nowhere near it was today. And so, so the things that, that we can treat actually pretty easily today might have been a death sentence in their day. The mortality rate was high. People went to, to doctors that didn't really know what they were doing. On top of that, there was national disunity. Among the peoples occupied by Rome, the people that were, that, were, that were under their subjugation were divided over how they should respond. And they were divided into camps that opposed one another. And so those camps were politically based, they were ideologically based, they were theologically based. And so even within their, their, their national you know, sense of unity, it had been fractured and fragmented. So those are the kind of hotspots that's the kind of despair that was, that was just kind of the milieu that, that people were, were experiencing in Jesus' world. As you can imagine, in addition to all those kind of general challenges, there was all the particular challenges that each person faced. What did it look like for them to live in a fallen world? They had whatever their particular sickness, challenge, peculiarity. Into that world came a glimmer of hope in the person of Jesus. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. A young donkey that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? The disciples simply replied, the Lord has need of it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. Now, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along. And they were praising God for all of the wonderful miracles they had seen. They were singing, Blessed on the King who comes in the blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That's the essential Palm Sunday passage. We find it in, in the Gospels. There's various versions, but it's, all of them go something along those lines. And it's not difficult to understand what's happening here. Here's the basic storyline. Let me just block out the basic things that happen here. First of all, we have Jesus, who is a popular, he's a controversial figure, but he's a popular figure. He's arriving in Jerusalem. And although the text doesn't tell us this, here's what we know. It's at the beginning of, of Passover week. Okay, we have what we call Holy Week or Passion Week. Back then, it was the, the, the people had Passover Week. Passover was a time when the population of Jerusalem would swell with Jewish pilgrims coming from throughout the known world, throughout the Roman world, coming to Jerusalem in order to observe and celebrate Passover right there. And Passover was the most significant feast on the, the Jewish calendar. It's something, again, they did this every single year. And here's what it did. It recalled a time when their ancestors were delivered from their oppressors by God, by, by God's miraculous intervention that God had intervened into the place of Egypt. 
This is some 1,500 years previously. They told the story about how God sent a person who was anointed and empowered to lead them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so every year at Passover, they retold that story. They, they revisited the story. They, they had the same questions, the same things they, the, the, the things they walked through, the, the topics they addressed, the questions that were asked. And it was all about revisiting that story of something that had happened in the past in order to wake a hope, awaken hope for something that was happening in their present. And so as Jesus enters Jerusalem at the beginning of Passover, that is not lost on the people because they're, they're hoping for, they're praying for someone like Moses that led the people out of Egypt. They're praying for somebody that's going to lead them out of oppression to Rome. Secondly, the fact that Jesus, a messianic-like figure, who's known, it says that he's been performing wonderful miracles. The fact that he's arriving in Jerusalem at Passover is not lost on the crowd. So they're thinking, this must be the time. That's why their despair is starting to turn into hope because they're thinking, this must be it. And so they give him the equivalent of a royal welcome. When, when they're throwing their garments on the road in front of him, they're, they're taking off their clothes. They're probably like outer capes, things like that. Whatever, whatever their outer clothing was, they're, they're taking that. They're putting it on the road in front of him. That's their equivalent of a red carpet treatment. They didn't have a red carpet to roll out, so they put their, their coats in front of him to say, what's happening here is special. And it's not just like a red carpet treatment like a celebrity. It's the, it's the welcome of a king, of a conquering king. So other texts like Matthew and Mark tell us that they were grabbing palm branches off of the trees and they're waving palm branches as he comes. That's, that's why we call it Palm Sunday. It's palm branches, not the palm of your hand, right? It's Palm Sunday because they're waving palm branches. You know what that was? That's the way that you would, that, that, oh, a returning king before it's happened. So this is an anticipation they think he's, he's going to conquer. He's going to drive out these Roman scum. He's going to liberate us. And that's going to have impacts on everything. It's going to have impacts on our, on our security, on our financial, on our peace, on our relationships. This is, it's going to be a golden era. Everything that's currently filled with despair is going to be turned into hope. That's what they're expecting. In fact, you can see it in the, in the song that they're singing. That We just referenced one little excerpt of the song that they were singing. That's Psalm 118. You can find it in the Hebrew scriptures. And it was, in fact, a psalm that they, that they sang every year at this time. They had certain songs that they sang as they made their ascent to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was on a hill, so it's always an ascent to Jerusalem. And, and there's certain songs they would sing. And Psalm 118 is the one that, that they're referencing at this point. But they make a little adjustment to it. They, they say, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the actual text of Psalm 118 says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they've interpreted that to say, you know who's coming. It's a king who's going to conquer these Roman scum. So that's happening. And, and, and yet in the middle of all of that, there's something that's out of place. It's like this record scratch moment that the, the people don't see. It's kind of lost on the crowds that are there. But on Jesus' part, it was very intentional. And it's this. It's, it's his chosen ride as he makes his entrance to Jerusalem. It's a young donkey. Which is, I mean, did you notice that he, he sent them ahead and he said, I want you to go get this donkey that nobody's ever ridden. It's a young donkey. It's unbroken. No one's ever ridden it. It's not like Jesus ordered an Uber and said, Whatever, just, whatever's closest, just bring that. Like he deliberately chose a donkey. And that's not what you'd expect, right? For, for a red carpet welcome, you show up in a what? A limousine, right? If it's a red carpet welcome, you show up in a limousine. If it's a military conquering king showing up, then you show up in something that's impressive, something that makes a statement, right? You show up in a, you show up in a Hummer, or a tank, or a stretch Escalade, right? I saw one of those driving the other day. That's pretty cool. In their day, to show up as a conquering king, you'd show up maybe in a, a chariot, or maybe carried, you know, 
by a bunch of people in a litter, or, or at the very least, you ride in on a big, strong war horse. Jesus rides in on a, a donkey? <laughs> what? I want to suggest that that's part of the unlikeliness of him coming as a king. It's significant when paired to the fact that, that as they welcomed him as a king, he didn't stop them. He actually allowed them to treat him as a king. In fact, in the song that, that the team led us in this morning, it talked about if, if, I don't, you know, if I don't praise you, the rocks will cry out. It comes from this passage. And, and, and Jesus' uh, enemies, the, the, those who had, had rejected him, they were looking at what was happening and they said, Jesus, make these people stop treating you as a king. And he said, no. He said, if I don't let them cry, if I don't let them praise me as king, the rocks will cry out. Creation itself will cry out. So Jesus is allowing them to welcome him as his king, but at the same time, he's saying, I'm not going to be the king you're expecting. His chosen ride speaks of the type of king. He will be an unlikely king. And so that brings us to our title, Finding Hope Through an Unlikely King. As Jesus entered Jerusalem, at the beginning of that Passover 2,000 years ago, he was, in fact, awakening hope for people that were living in despair. He's, he, he's awakening hope. That was true in their day. It's true in our day some 2,000 years ago. But here's the key. In order for that hope to be sustained and grounded, in order for it to be not disappointed, but actually to, to be something that, that, that feeds us and nurtures our spiritual well-being. In order for it to be real, we have to embrace the fact that he was not the king they were expecting. He was an unlikely king. And it wasn't just the donkey that he rode in. It was his entire life, the, the entire incarnation from, from him entering into creation as a, as a baby to his death and resurrection. Everything was unlikely. He's an unlikely king because he didn't arise from a family of wealth, power, position, or privilege. He was born to a, a peasant girl under what appeared to be very shameful circumstances. His birth was attended by shepherds, not by nurses. His newborn body was placed in an animal feeding trough, not in a hospital bassinet. That's unlikely for the king and creator of the universe. He's an unlikely king because he didn't surround himself with the best and the brightest, with the bold and the beautiful, with the rich and the famous. He chose ordinary people, people that had been rejected by others, people that were looked down on even by the religious community. He chose them and he loved them as they were. He called them into something greater. He called them in, into, into their potential but he loved them as they were. He saw them as they were and loved them. He's an unlikely king because he didn't come with military might or corresponding force to drive back and defeat the enemy. He didn't just one-up them with their weapons. He came instead in sacrificial love and forgiveness. He's an unlikely king because he allowed himself to be betrayed. He was silent before his accusers. He chose to endure their mocking, their beating, their execution, though he could have stopped it with a single word. That's unlikely. Think about our world leaders today. Who would, who would endure that and not stop it if you could do so with a word? He's an unlikely king because he didn't call down judgment on his oppressors. He called down mercy. As he's being crucified, he prays for his oppressors and says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's a whole different economy than what we experience in this world, isn't it? That's not the economy that his, his Roman crowds were, or his, his first century crowds were expecting. He's an unlikely king because he rejected the mechanisms of human culture for affecting change through outward force, through outward conformity. And he instead began a revolution of the heart through inner transformation, empowered by his indwelling presence. He's an unlikely king because he didn't choose the sweeping victory of a shock and awe campaign. 
which there's times where we're really drawn to that, right? There's times when we would love to see a, a shock and awe campaign to just destroy those evil people. But he instead chose the unexpected victory beginning with his own broken body placed in a tomb as a seed, a seed that would grow into a kingdom, a mountain that would take over the whole earth. It's happening much slower than what we would expect. He's an unlikely king because his timeline is not what we would anticipate. His timeline is more expansive than what was expected, more patient, more inclusive, more gracious, and more compassionate. Church, this week we're going to be entering into this whole story. In fact, as you come back, as, as Pastor Brent invited you, there was going to be, we're setting up a stations of the cross. If you don't know what that means, it means this room is going to have 12 stations beginning with this side and working its way all the way around the room that allow us to recall a story. A story that we're familiar with, a story we've heard before, but as you, and I'm going to invite you to do that. We, we've tried to make space that no one, there's no excuses for not coming because it starts at 7 a.m., all week long, Monday through Saturday, and it ends at 7 p.m. most days. Friday and Saturday, the hours are a little bit different. But there's time. I want you to, I want you to find a time this week to come down and, and, and place yourself in the stations. Because here's why. This is an opportunity for you to place yourself before the great physician for a spiritual wellness check and to allow him to see you as you are. The questions that are asked, and there's, we, this, is, this, this particular year is set up to engage both creative right brain people and linear left brain people. There's gonna be, it's going to be visual, it's going to be textual, there's going to be questions that are asked. I invite you to, to treat this like the great physician and allow yourself to be seen as you are. Allow the great physician to probe the, the dark places and to shine his light there because we need an infusion of hope. If we're going to live in this world with hope that's grounded in something that's real and is in fact happening and will be completed, we've got to allow the great physician to show us what it looks like for us to embrace an unlikely king and an unlikely kingdom. We're going to find that this week. We're going to find it as we personally make space to engage the station of the cross. You can move through them at your own pace. We're going to come back on Good Friday and then we're going to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And it's a chance for us to be infused with hope that is grounded in something that's real. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And um, they're going to lead us one more time in that song that we ended with today. And it's a song that actually tells the gospel story, embraces both despair and hope. It asks the question, can we, do we look around? Do we see that the world is in fact broken? We do. And is there a reason to hope? There is. The, the, the lyrics of that song actually tell that Jesus is an unlikely king. He affected change by being a lamb that was slain. His worthiness to, to bring forward God's plan for all of creation to be reconciled, it didn't happen through a conquering king with military force. It happened through a lamb that was slain in sacrifice for us. This is the gospel story. This is the story we, we revisit and we retell because we need it. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And as, as the worship team leads us through this song again, would you just let these words become a song and a prayer? Let them prepare the soil of our hearts for Easter week. Would you open yourself to hope, open yourself to the gaze of a loving physician? As we do this, we're going to put a few words for prayer on the screen, first of all. Let's go ahead and put these up. These are th a few things that our prayer team sent specifically that God wanted to, uh, to bring healing to today or, or to bring, to bring uh, life to today. Abandonment, ear problems, hearing loss, tinnitus, struggling with addiction and depression. These are specific things that our, our prayer team just sensed God wants to bring healing to these aspects today, to bring hope. Maybe these are aspects where you're feeling despair. God wants to bring hope. And so as we sing this song, at some point, if you would like prayer today, okay, the song can be a prayer, but if you would like to receive prayer, 
I'm gonna invite you to just make your way up front. Uh, you don't have to do it right at the beginning, but at some point, make your way up front. And after you've been there for a moment, our prayer team, our ministry team is just gonna join you and they're just gonna pray over you. We're gonna invite God's kingdom to come, his will to be done. We're gonna invite the rescue of an unlikely king to fill us with hope, to give a down payment of what is to come today. Can we do that together? Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through. Sing out as all creation groans. All creation groans. Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Line up Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He is. Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And is Jesus our Messiah? Hold forever those He loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? He does. Sing that again. Does the Father truly love us? Does the Father truly love us? He does. And does the Spirit move among us? Oh, He does. And is Jesus our Messiah? Hold forever those He loves. He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Sing together. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? Blind, the lion of Judah, who conquers the grave. He is David's root and the lamb who died. Ransom the slave from every people and tribe. 
still an opportunity if you would like to, uh, to join others in prayer. Um, invite you to, to just come on uh, up front, come around the screens over here on either side. We have a ministry team that would love to pray for you. This is just it's the church being the church, and we're called into this thing together. It's going to be a good week. We're going to have uh, all these activities. We have a team of people that have been uh, working really hard to prepare this space, to create space, and we're just expecting God to fill it. We're expecting an infusion of hope and of life. We're expecting new people uh, to, to become followers of Jesus. So it's going to be a great week. Remember this morning, we do have a, a meet and greet if you're new or newish and you're wanting to get connected. It's, it's on campus. It's right over here through the office lobby. And uh, we'll be out there and have uh, some snacks and a quick, quick meet and greet. Apart from that, I want to invite you this week to, um, to allow the, the great physician to see you, to probe, to, uh, to prescribe, to ask you the questions, to infuse you with hope. All right. Go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.